If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Ryan McClanahan Show, episode 705. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, click on that little super thanks button under the video. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. Of course, a great way to support the show financially is to go to McClanahan Academy. You've already heard about that. But you can purchase one or 20 classes there or more. And you can keep this podcast free of charge, plus you get great content. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way that way, or go to anchor.fm. You can subscribe there. Of course, another great way to support the show is to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Leave that five-star review. Comment on it wherever you can comment. Share it around on social media. Let your friends know they're missing out by not listening to the Brian McClanahan Show. And as always, send me those show requests. I do want to hear what you want to hear. I read them. I don't always respond, but I do read what you want to hear. And your requests might end up as a podcast episode. So I do appreciate all your support. I really do. I keep this podcast going for you. And um, it's just wonderful to be able to do this uh, during this time period and and to cover the, the material that you won't hear just about anywhere else. And so today I want to talk about an article that was written in Chronicles Magazine. It's kind of wrapping around to last week. We were talking about equality and the proposition nation and what is conservatism. Some great stuff last week. But I wanted to focus on this article that was in Chronicles Magazine, the most recent issue of Chronicles Magazine. If you don't get Chronicles, you should. It's a wonderful magazine. And the, uh, the title of the piece is Equality, Flattening the Mountains of Genius, and it's by Anthony Esselin. And so I wanted to, to read a part of this article, not the whole thing, because this gets into the proposition nation problem of the Straussians and the neoconservatives. It's something I hammer on a lot. But if you're going to base your conservatism on discarded leftist talking points, the only thing you're going to get is a leftist America. And Look, that's where we are. This is what I said a couple of weeks ago about you know the Max Boot article where he says maybe we live, maybe real America is leftist America. I don't think he's entirely wrong about that. I think that you have large pockets of America, particularly in urban areas, that are blue and that's the majority of the people in the separate states. Now, overall, if you want to look at a conglomerate, that's where we are. And the states themselves, which is all that matters. The people of the states, in a number of states, the America is red America. You look at most of America, that's the case. It's very few sections of the, of the United States, very few states even, that have a majority that are like this. But it's such a large majority in, say, like California or New York or Massachusetts that it makes it seem like this is the entirety of America. It's not. It's a very small section of America that Max Boot is saying, well, this is the majority of America. Numerically, the simple numerical majority is, I would say, leftist. But most Americans live in states that are not that way. So the people of the states have a much greater role in this than what anyone recognizes. And this is where I'd say that 
the proposition nation leads inevitably to what we have in American society today. It's what Jesse Merriam talked about last week and that article that I read. It's, I mean, all that's true. So talking about equality, and if you say equality is conservative, you're already conceding the field. You're already behind. This is the problem, right? You're already behind the game. And so I want to get into this piece because he talks about equality. And he talks about what it means. Again, flattening the mountains of genius. What does this really mean to be equal? What does that term equality even mean for America? How does that work? Is it uh, something that's achievable? Is it something that's desirable? Is equality now equity? Because that's the term being used more than anything else. We want equity, equity, not equality. Equality is still unequal. Because, and there's a, there's a graphics often, often used in education. All right, so... If we have a fence, right, and you have three people there, three students, and one student is tall, one student is in the middle, one student's short, right? So equality would mean that they all can stand at the fence and look into the ball game behind the fence. They can all see. That's equality. Well, what's going to happen? Two of the three can see it. One can see it real well. One can see it pretty well, and one can't see it at all. So what we really want is equity. So what we would do there is we would have steps for the other two so everyone is the same height. That's what we're going for, equity, right? So equality is now considered to be you know, not even a desirable term anymore. We don't want equality, we want equity. But equality, this push for equality, naturally leads to the push for equity because, well... Uh, some are more equal than others, right? Well, we know government officials are more equal than anybody. They, they get special perks and privileges that none of us, none of, nobody else gets. I mean, they're above the law oftentimes. So we know this is the case. Or if you have money or, you know, you have fame, you're going to be above the law oftentimes. But the fact is, uh, you know, most of us live in a world where we understand that people aren't equal. And if you have equal conditions, well, you're going to have unequal outcomes because that's the way... It works, right? But the progressives, you know, Lester Frank Ward, going back to Lester Frank Ward, we have to understand where progressivism comes from with some of the ideology. Lester Frank Ward and the evolutionists understood that, well, if we understand that evolution exists, right, we have, we have people that are more superior than others, whether it's intelligence, athletics, whatever it is. There are people that are more superior than better looking. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. What we have to do then it's craft a society that understands this and then mitigates the effects of unnatural situations, or I should say natural situations, you know, natural inequalities, and makes them go away. We have to get we have to we have to essentially engineer society to make all these things go away. All the so you can't have better looking people. And look how this is often portrayed now. You know, this is what the goal is to say that. We have to we have to downgrade people. We can't show beautiful people anymore because that causes problems with people that aren't beautiful. They get they feel inferior. We can't have really athletic people well, to a point, right? Because that makes people feel inferior. We can't have really smart people. Can't promote that because that makes people feel inferior. I would say though the only area that we we recognize inequalities and celebrate them is in athletics. We're fine with it there, and I think there's a lot of politics that are involved in that because of the fact if you look at athletes in the United States. And uh, so many athletes come from minority groups. Well, then that's okay because that that pushes them up the ladder, and uh, that form of inequality is fine because it actually makes people who are in lower socioeconomic statuses, 
move up the chain, so to speak. So we can we can celebrate those inequalities, but we can't celebrate any other inequalities. Because those inequalities might make these people in different socioeconomic categories feel inferior. We can't do that. Right? So here, here we have uh, this push for equality. It's unequal push for equity. It's only a push for equity in the areas that matter that we can promote meanness, right? So anyways, all this stuff is just absolutely lunacy. And Esselin's piece, I think, is really good. So let me read some of this. He says, long ago, Alexis de Tocqueville noted that democratic man is suspicious of excellence. And so he will sell even his vaunted liberty if he can purchase by it the calm blandness of equality. His characteristic sin is not the pride of the aristocrat, but the envy of the lever, leveler. Then we should not be surprised that his schools inculcate sameness. The mechanical model of the assembly line relieves him of the pressure, the threat of the two most obvious and productive forms of human diversity. So he would get rid of liberty for the blandness of equality. It's not the pride of the aristocrat, but the envy of the leveler. So the problem with the Democrat is that he's always interested because he doesn't want to feel inferior to anybody. If he feels inferior to anyone, well, that's a problem. That has to go away. I can't feel bad about who I am because that would mean I'm, those people are better than me. We're not really equal then. That's the whole point of democracy. You hear the progressive left talk about this. Democracy, equality, democracy, equality. What they really want to do is elevate themselves, and government allows mediocre people to do that. They elevate themselves. I mean, look at all the mediocre people in government, Washington, D.C., or state governments. There's so many mediocre people. It's run by mediocrities. The whole thing is mediocre, but yet it makes them feel powerful and important. Joe Biden is one of the most mediocre people we've ever had in an elected position in the United States history. Finished near the bottom of his law class, lies, plagiarizes, cheats, does all he can. He's a career bureaucrat, but you know what? He's president, and that's all he ever wanted. He's a mediocre. He's a mediocrity. I'll never forget, uh, if you've ever seen the film Amadeus, which is about Mozart, one of the greatest mu musical geniuses, a genius, no doubt, about everything, but a genius, a real genius. And, of course, it's based on the... Uh, Antonio Salieri, who said he killed Mozart, which he didn't, and uh, his his time in a mental institution. But there's a line in the film at the end when uh, he's talking to the priest and he says, you know, I am the patron saint of mediocrities. I'm a mediocrity. I am mediocre. I was not Mozart. Listen, my music is nowhere near as good as Mozart, so I'm a mediocre. Now, Salieri was a good composer, but he wasn't Mozart, and he understood it. And everybody understood it, but Mozart was actually unsuccessful, or not as successful, I should say, as Salieri or Haydn during his lifetime. He was, he was comfortable, but he was never like them. They were court composers. They had patrons. Uh, Sal, uh, Mozart had a patron, but nothing like what Salieri had. He was the court composer of the Austrian emperor. He was very, very wealthy and powerful, but he was mediocre compared to Mozart. And so when he says at the end of the film, I absolve you of being mediocre, you're just a mediocre person like me. We have a genius like Mozart and I tore him down. In so many ways, that film is an indictment of equality. I tore down the genius because I felt inferior and he had to be equal with me. 
That's why that film is good. If you have never seen Amadeus, go watch it. It's an excellent film. Good acting, great acting, in fact. Uh, great music. If you like, uh, you know that period of time. Class. That is the classical period. If you like that period of time and symphonic music, it's very good. Uh, and I mean, just a fantastic indictment of equality. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Mozart is far above everybody else, and the uh, the efforts undertaken by Salieri to tear him down is exactly what Esselin is talking about in this piece. One is the difference between male and female, and it is interesting that Vonnegut should have seen that too, for Harrison is strong, and the best of the, of the ballerinas is graceful and beautiful, and they are dancing together, as only a boy and girl can dance when they are murdered. But our schools have determined to make boys into cheap imitation girls and girls into cheap imitation boys. And absolutely nothing in their academic or moral instruction acknowledges the reality that boys and girls are meant for one another. Sexual action is set free with all the evil and imprisoning consequences of license even while the notion of genuine sexual being is thwarted. The Amish man, not encumbered by egalitarianism or a sexual license, can enjoy in full the goodness of being a man and receiving his woman as a gift just as his wife can enjoy the goodness of being a woman and receiving her man as a gift. It is no surprise that the uh, Amish children are many, are many and physically strong, and Amish divorces exceedingly rare, while among the rest of us, divorces are as common as yawning and children are few, often bored, spindly, or overweight, and alone. The other fundamental diversity is that between the ordinary and the exceptional, between the average man and the genius, the typical soldier and the hero, the usual sinner and the saint. In all these cases, the further you diverge from the ordinary, the more distinct you become. Dante's sinners in hell are often indistinguishable from one another, as they are covered in sludge or encased in ice, or as their minds have sunk beneath individuality so that even their names are lost. But saints are sharply individual. The Curé of Arts, St. John Vinay, somewhat slow of speech, of no great learning and not an intellectual, was one of the keenest sighted readers of souls the world has ever known. How different he was from the rigorous acrobat St. John Bosco, ministering to the street boys of Turin, or from the gentle and cerebral St. John Henry Newman, or from the young French girl St. Theresa of Lisseau, with her immense and characteristically feminine capacity for love. So he's saying, look, inequalities are what makes America, or makes the world rich. The uniqueness of people makes the world rich. It's this push for equality that removes diversity in many ways, is his point. And that's what he exact he says the exact same thing. I forward a little bit into the piece. He says, So it happens that the cause for equality and diversity are incompatible. Indeed, I have long believed that all our declared love of diversity is a sham. The last thing the intellectual bureaucrats, I'm sorry, international bureaucrats and technocrats among us want is that a society somewhere or a school or religious faith should resist assimilation and say, we shall do things our way, whether that means that they divide labor among men and women along traditional biologically suggested lines, or that they do not believe that the drag queens should be heads of state or of anything else, or that they teach their children according to their own lights and not those of Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg, the true tyrants of our time. The past is the human race's greatest storehouse of cultural diversity, but the past is not egalitarian anywhere. For the people of the past were not sufficiently wealthy and, and sheltered from war and disease, 
and the exigences of nature to play egalitarian house and survive a single winter. Therefore, the past is scorned. If we study it at all, we do, we do so to show up the mistakes of our benighted fathers or to invent fantasies of mothers who are really just feminists, just like us, whether they knew it or not. That's a beautiful statement about history. When you study history, you find that the past is diverse, and not all civilizations are the same. Not all people are the same. Not all people do the right things or the wrong things or whatever the case may be. And that some civilizations produce more beautiful things than others. The past, the thing that makes the past beautiful is the diversity of it. The egalitarians are not interested in diversity. They're interested in sameness. They're interested in tearing down beauty. They're interested in tearing down uniqueness. They're interested in tearing down greatness because greatness is a threat to them. It's a threat to them. Mediocrity wants to tear down greatness because greatness makes them feel inferior. That's the problem. Now, again, the only area where we can't do this is in athletics. We can recognize greatness in athletics. We can have signing days and all these things. We can celebrate professional athletes. We can do all of that. And those people look for their athletic skills are great. There's nothing... I mean, I, I'm a huge baseball fan. It's the most challenging... It's, imagine... I, I can't even imagine... I've, I've done it. I've played baseball. And hitting a baseball going 90 miles an hour is really hard to do. So the people that can do it on a consistent basis are really amazing athletes. Hand-eye coordination to a level that most people in the world cannot do. And they get paid handsomely for it. Being able to run uh, you know, from, from home plate to third base in 11 seconds is really amazing. You're running 270 yards, or 270 feet, I should say. 270 feet, which is, you know, what, 90 yards in 11 seconds. Amazing to be able to do that. Hit the ball, run to uh, 270 feet, 90, you know, 90 yards in, uh, in 11 seconds. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, amazing. So uh, ath athletes are amazing. Or to be able to you know, play basketball or football or any of these things, track, swimming, any of the stuff that you find, tennis, golf, this is amazing. And we celebrate these people because they are exceptional skill. That's the only area we're allowed to recognize skill. Everywhere else has to be egalitarian. Everywhere. Education, beauty, everything has to be egalitarian because you can't say one group is better than the other or prettier than the other or smarter than the other. You just can't do that anymore. You can't say one person is these things anymore because that, of course, would be to discriminate. He says, no, every land must be diverse and all in the same way differing only in a seasoning for noodles here or a style of soccer there. And that will require the frustration or the smothering of genius. Since as human history and biology show, you are far more likely to get rare genius from the males and from the females, for genius is a risky business and males are expendable or females are not. You can achieve the ends of feminism and egalitarianism at once by starving, distracting, punishing, and browbeating the boys. If we ask why we do not have a Bach in our midst, and we do not, or a Milton or a Michelangelo, we might ask how in the hell a Bach, a Milton, or a Michelangelo could make it through our schools, or through the ubiquitous travel, uh, trivial distinctions of television, distractions of television and the internet, or through the unremitting uh, co contempt to which the sex, sex is subject, 
with his talent intact and his drive untrammeled. So this is a piece, of course, critical of the leveling of society and the feminization of society, too, which we are seeing. You know, boys are need to be medicated. Boys need to be, you know, we, we don't need to celebrate masculinity anymore. Even though I say that a lot of people still want it. I mean, they still want it. There's only a segment of the population, I think, does it, and they have a pretty loud voice. But we don't want to celebrate that anymore. It's seen as dangerous. It's seen as uh, hyper, whatever it is. You're a boy in school and you're, you're being a boy. Well, you're hyper. Get on some medication. If you're distracted, get on some medication. Instead of teaching these boys to be boys. He says, I make the assumption here that we ought to promote genius, that the best education will not be democratic. Yet I do not believe that most Americans will, now will agree with me. Neither the bureaucratic tyrants who call themselves liberals nor the egalitarian liberals who sometimes call themselves conservative. It will be said that a genius-shifting education is better for us, a genius-stifling education, I'm sorry, is better for us, because while it dampens and encumbers genius considerably, it does not snuff it out altogether, and instead it raises the level of the great average. <clears throat> the few mountains are flattened, but the great plains are lifted up. That's the argument. I think he's precisely on that. You know, you can't, you don't want to celebrate genius because that raises... You don't have advanced classes anymore because you're raising the plains to meet the level of the mountains, but you're not. You're flattening some of the mountains and raising the plains up, but you're you're not really creating any great mountains. And the point that he says you have um, egalitarian liberals who sometimes call themselves conservatives. I mean, this is that's an excellent point. That's what I've said in this, on the this show many, many times. You can't call a Straussian a conservative, really. You can't call Victor Davis Hanson even a conservative. He's right about some things. But he's conservative, he is not. I would not make that trade even if you could have it on those terms, but that is not what really happens. Tocqueville himself noted in the democratic America of that time that you could hardly find a pioneer anywhere without a copy of Shakespeare. And he had himself read one of uh, the Henry plays in a log cabin. We seem to think that genius for, is for oneself. Just as we have bought the atomist view of sex, the absurd notion that a man's physical strength is for himself and not for the woman he marries and their children, and that a woman's gentle care for the weak and needy is for herself and not for her husband and their children. But that is simply not true. Mozart is for everyone, and not just because everyone can listen to Mozart. His genius is a gift in itself and is a source of nourishment for others, and perhaps lesser gifts, lesser but more broadly and commonly distributed. From Mozart and from other great composers of that place and time, the people of Vienna and Austria and the Germany and the rest of the Western world learn the wondrous things that music can do. People who listen to the marriage of Figaro are not the same as people who enjoy the Muzak, Muzak they hear on the elevator, the Muzak they hear on the elevator. Milton is for everyone, and not just because anyone can buy a copy of Paradise Lost. From Milton, the schoolboy in Iowa and the with the verses ringing in his ears, he walks the couple of miles back home through the fields, learns what poetry can do. People for whom poetry means Milton or Pope or Wordsworth are not the same as people for whom it means nothing or worse, some silly political ravings in free verse or puerile rhyme. Folk art is the country cousin of high art, and sometimes they dance together in the barn or the rich man's hall or the piazza in front of the church on a holiday, and you get... Giotto or Johann Strauss or Robert Burns or Mark Twain. The country where the boy is set free to play Chopin without distraction and interruption is also the country where people without sheet music play age-old love songs on the mandolin. Just as the saint 
by his example and his presence, and sometimes also by his leadership and his appeal, raises the moral sights of the people around him so that they take fire from him according to their capacities, so does the genius kindle the intelligence of the ordinary person. So what he's saying here essentially is that genius lifts everybody up. Genius lifts everyone up. You have to have genius because you achieve for greatness. One of the things that I often talk about when I teach Athens, for example, is this little city-state of maybe 30,000 citizens with a culture of excellence produce the mind, if not the body, of Western civilization. Now, we got to talk about Rome and Christianity and everything else that fosters Western civilization, that factors into that. But this little place that considered itself better than everyone else, and that was the key to being Athenian, you were better than everyone else. Now, were they always? No, the Spartans beat them. But the Athenians always had this, uh, this aura that they were better than everyone else. This swagger. They're Athenians. They're the best in the world. This is what I mean. This is what Socrates said when he when he was castigating during his you know, Plato's writing it down in his trial. Athenians, I mean, you're of the greatest city in the world. Why do you waste your time on such trivial things? You're the greatest people, the greatest city in the world. Even Socrates said, we're the greatest. And because we're the greatest, this is what I'm doing here. We spend far too much time leveling and not relishing and, and enjoying genius for what it is and encouraging genius. We don't encourage it. We try to tear it down because it makes us feel better. And that's what Esselin is saying here. He says, Must we be sentenced to mediocrity forever? Ah, but I fear that even the mediocre is unstable when excellence is traduced or prescribed. For if people cannot make themselves stand out in holiness or artistic or intellectual genius, they will strive to make themselves stand out in some other way, and the most readily available ways are to be found in the garish, the venal, the brutish, and the perverse. A mediocre public building erected in 1880 strikes us correctly as handsome and beautiful now. And folk melody from anywhere will now, by comparison with the submelodic anger of rap, strike us as the music of the spheres. In a depraved age, what was once seen as mediocre, a mediocre man will seem like a pillar of dependability, and a mediocre woman a haven of, con of comfort. May God help us and send us the saints we do not deserve to show us more excellent way, the more excellent way. Perhaps the geniuses shall be added thereunto. And so, medi mediocrity. One day, mediocre is going to be celebrated. We celebrate mediocrity from, from the 19th century because it's beautiful now, because we have so much awfulness around us. So can we not get the genius? Can we not celebrate the genius and find the genius? Because people will always try to stand out in some way or another instead of the areas that would be beneficial to society, like Literature, music, art. I mean, art now, what passes for genius is garbage. I mean, even science, technology. I mean, what, what we champion now is mediocre because we don't want to feel too inferior. And that's the saddest part of it. So, it's just a different way of looking at equality and the and the problems of it, the flattening of mountains, the rate equity, which is what we're pushing for. It's not equality. I think he's using the incorrect term. It really is equity. That's what they're going for now. Equality is outdated. 
That's an outdated, outmoded term. It is now equity that people are pushing for. So that's the danger of this proposition nation myth. It really is the danger of the proposition nation myth. And it's something that we have to wrestle with. Nowadays, we've moved beyond uh, these particular issues where they were sold in the 19th century. But we've gotten to a point where the leveling is taking place in education and the arts in a way that's making everything mediocre. It's back to Antonin Antonin Salieri and uh, his patron saint of the mediocrities, right? That's where we are. Mozart cannot be celebrated. Uh, He has to be diminished, and we have to accept something else as being genius, which really isn't genius. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.